which was the first real sound that had ever been transmitted to a human ear by electricity. Hi everyone and welcome to the first episode of The Music Dissectors, recorded Thursday, April 6th. I'm one of the two co-hosts of this very new show and with me is my colleague Matthew J.C. Powell. How are you, Matthew? I'm not bad, David. Not bad for a Thursday morning. It's, yeah, a little bit early for us, you know, as, as two night owls, so to speak. Yes, I'm not a morning person, so if I, uh, if I do nod off, uh, feel free to just make a loud noise in my ear or something. <laughs> If, 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 if you hear snoring noises, that's me. Yeah. And we are up early uh, partly because we're dedicated, but partly because our first guest uh, is on the other side of the world in the US, so uh, time zones have forced us out of bed. Nothing else would. <laughs> no, you're not far off at this age. <laughs> so it's been a while. Um, Matthew and I last did a podcast together more than eight years ago in a totally different area. Um, but just over the last... Go Macworld. Yeah, straight. <laughs> Good old Macworld. I've got to say, it was a fun podcast. Um, it was. It's our love of music that's led to this one um, being created. Uh, so being the first episode, I thought it was worth a short mention of what we actually want to get out of this podcast or what, what we want our audience to get out of it. And it's pretty simple, really. What we want to do is long-form album reviews, uh, with the review being a three-way process between the two of us, obviously, and a guest. So the guest might be someone you know or it might be someone you'd like to know after hearing their thoughts on the album they've chosen. Um, that's pretty much it. It's about uh, album review and having some fun. Anything you wanted to add to that, Matthew? You, you mean there's not money? I, th- I thought we were going to get rich. Oh, lots, lots of Is, money. Isn't there... Oh, oh, phew. Boy, oh, boy. I was worried for a minute. I, th- I thought I thought podcasting is where the cash is at. Oh, absolutely. That's why I've gotten into it. <laughs> these these, di- these diamond rings do not buy themselves. They do not. They do not. I got to get me some bling. <laughs> As a keyboard player, and I want to be like Liberace, so it's not cheap. Exactly. Exactly. And and you need the you need the rings for the proper balance, especially. And I, I play a little bit of drums myself, and you know it's. I've, I've found this as a technique. I've learned it from Ringo. You, 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 you need to have a little bit of bling just to keep your hands loose. If you, if, you don't, if you don't weight your fingers down with some diamonds, some gold, you lose your rhythm. So, so that's, that, that, that's what I'm hoping to get out of this. I'm hoping to get, get some, some, some bling. <laughs> so it's probably a good juncture at which to mention our backgrounds. It's fair to say that neither Matthew or, or I are professional musicians. No. Um, <laughs> I know in my case, I, I've played in cover bands for many, many years or since I was a teenager. Um, and I, I'm a D-grade keyboard player, but I love my music technology. Um, 
And Matthew, it's fair to say as a drummer and musician, you make an excellent journalist. Yeah, I I, uh, I also play the keyboard, but it's one of these QWERTY type keyboards. Um, <laughs> and that's uh, that that's really more where you where you want me. The uh, the music I make is not music that you particularly want to hear. My kids like it, but my my kids are. Well, let's face it; they're 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 not critical. And as they get uh, older, they'll probably like it less and less. The, and yes, they will. I'm I'm they're they're an age now where there's more and more of the oh, dad, uh, and and less and less of the dancing along. Yes, so. I, I, I'm yeah. living that experience as well. <laughs> but yeah, I I do love music. Uh, I I love it enough to spare you uh, my music. Uh, that's that's how much I love music. You you don't have to hear. What I what I perform because uh, because yeah it's it's harmful to the to the entire genre of music really is what I do but I do like to write and I do like to talk as you can probably hear uh, you'd probably you're probably hoping I would shut up by, by now not at all speaking on behalf of the audience who don't exist yet but we hope they will we hope they will because that's where the money's at <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And so our first guest that we're about to cross to in a minute for an interview uh, is a man that definitely can play music and has done so for a lot of years. Uh, Will Henschel uh, is a guy that was with London Beat, a very successful band from the 90s. And so they had two number one hits uh, in the 90s with I've Been Thinking About You and, and Come Back, um, including here in Australia, uh, a lot, a lot of the parts of Europe uh, had some decent success in the US as well. Um, so num- number one for four weeks in Australia, which is which is no mean feat. It's it's actually it's actually quite a big, quite a big thing to have a, a number one hit in Australia for multiple weeks. Anybody can get there for a week, but four weeks that's that's something. That's that's real success. Particularly in the nineties, it was so much more fragmented. Even then, I mean, I know in the eighties there. <laughs> Things like I Just Called to Say I Love You by Stevie Wonder seemed to be on number one for 12 weeks or so. It was some ridiculous amount of time. That's that's a horrible song. I I want to know what Love Is by Foreigner is the other one that stands out. Was seemed to be on number one forever. Yeah. Let's let's not dwell too much on the number one hits of the 80s because it was was a hard time. It was a hard time. do you know? Here's here's a little bit of trivia for you. Do you know what song uh, I've been thinking about you replaced at number one on the Aria charts? Ooh. So being the the nineties in Australia, it would still be somewhat of a rock focus. So someone rock based. It was it was rock based. It was it was I touch myself by the Divinals. Ooh, that's a big knockoff. It's it's not a small thing to beat, is it? No. That's 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 a classic. You you know that's 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 a, quite a thing. Well, test Will's knowledge whether he realised that. I'm sure he, he does. If he does, he doesn't remember it. But um, <laughs> we'll put that to him because that is impressive. Yeah. So yeah, we're, that, it's Will, and Will has chosen an album that's a little bit left of center for what we initially thought with the podcast. So we're, we're assuming, and it could be a false assumption that. Most albums our guests choose will be in the rock or pop genres uh, between the 60s and today. Uh, Will's chosen something a little bit different, which you're about to find out. So enjoy the interview.
Hi, Will. Thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Nice to talk to you. So we, we've already done a little bit of a, an introduction, uh, Will, um, but I thought it might be worth you telling us a little bit about yourself, uh, about your journey as a musician and entrepreneur today. Well, I'm a musician and a tech inventor, and um, I'm a songwriter. I was in a band, a well-known band called London Beat uh, in the early 90s. Um, and then um, I'm, a, I'm a Brit. I live in uh, California. I live in uh, Los Angeles. I've, I've been here, been in the States on and off for about 35 years, spent some time back in the UK. Um, and I'm, as I was saying, as I, I, I'm as much of a, of, a, of a songwriter composer as I am a tech inventor. And really, it, they're, all, they're all aspects of, of being an, an idearist, um, if there is such a thing. I think I might have made up the term. I'm an <laughs> idearist. I, I like I, it. I make a living from ideas. Yeah. In, in, um, in, in American business, there's a, this sort of a disparaging term, which is, oh, they're a creative. <laughs> mm. And yeah, I'm a creative, but to be a creative, you usually have to have a, you know, a, a stupid spectacles or a, some odd personal habits, or, you know, you can do, you can do get away with stuff because you're a creative. Um, and, and I, I don't really work like that. I, I'm interested in moving people and, uh, with, with musical ideas and technically I'm interested in, in making the world a better place. And, um, so, in fact, David, you and I met um, in the about 20 years ago, I think. In um, I ran a system called Rocket Network. Rocket Network was a tech company that came out of an idea for being a virtual band. Um, I, uh, along with uh, three other founders, in 1994, um, I started what was the world's first uh, virtual band project. And we started off uh, with about a thousand musicians from around the world, and you, David, were one of them. In fact, I, if I remember rightly, you were one of our very early sort of original twenty-five. <laughs> not that I'm the original proud. twenty-five. Yeah, yeah, not that I'm proud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we were jamming on the internet before anyone else even knew there was such a thing as the internet. Um, I'm sort of dipping around time-wise here, but I've been online since 1984 uh, myself. And um, I was a very early member of something called The Well, which was oh, a, yeah. um, a virtual community, a bulletin board that you used to have to dial into in San Francisco. And um, I was a member of The Well in the mid-late 80s. I'm wondering what dates that was. It was 88, maybe 87, 89. So I've been interested in online things and communicating 
online. And um, I realized as soon as I saw the first MP3, which was in 1991, um, there was something called the Fraunhofer Institute in Germany who were the, the team who created the, the MP3 file format. And I just remember thinking, ah, when the pipes get big enough to ship these things around, everything is going to change. And um, indeed it did. I was signed to a major label at the time. I was signed to RCA um, Records everywhere in the, in the world apart from the USA where uh, I was signed to MCA in the band London Beat. And I could just see how the music business, as it was, was just about to completely radically mm. change. And um, the irony was that if you were signed to a major label, which I was, you, you, you were very unlikely to actually make any money. And it was to do with the way that the labels had bands sign, uh, to do with the way that uh, the business worked. Um, in London Beat, we had a pretty decent deal. We, we were on a 14-point deal. That means that we were getting 14% of the retail price of an of a album. Uh, but that was that was after you we'd get our fourteen percent after the label had recouped all their costs mm -hmm. after they yes. paid for all of the touring and the video costs and after they'd paid for any other support they'd done for us and there was no way to police the label to figure out what they did or they didn't pay for on our behalf so you know they could claim that they that this that they they that we actually at one point got into this with the label and started to to sort of audit them and I remember having a an, a very oblique conversation with somebody about so if there's a, 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 a you know a skiing trip on a family of four that is paid for by our account how can I prove that this was not on our account and if the label says oh. This was a trip that we paid for a program director of a of a radio show in Boulder, Colorado, so that they would play your your yeah. single on this particular week. How could I prove that was or wasn't? So the system was just ripe for, you know, I wouldn't say abuse, but um, uh, abuse. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'd say so, abuse. Yeah. So that changed a lot of things, and um, we started. Res Rocket Surfer, which was the virtual band project uh, I raised. Um, I started off with my own money, and then we ended up raising about $42 million in the end when Res Rocket Surfer turned into Rocket Network, which turned into a track-based collaboration system that was integrated into Pro Tools, um, Cubase, um, which is a Steinberg digital audio workstation and logic audio, which is now, um, you know, part of the Apple uh, family. And so we developed and, uh, we have, we created five patents, um, around actually there's more than five, but uh, I'm on five of them myself, which is patents to do with the way that audio is transmitted securely over a wide area network. And that turned into something called digi delivery. And in 2003, uh, I sold the company Rocket Network to Avid, who make Pro Tools, and then Digi Delivery was the sort of the, the productization of of 
what all of those years turned into. And that was a, a system that was in place. It's actually still part of the Pro Tools technology. There's something called a cloud collaboration in Pro Tools 12, which is available right now. And the whole track-based collaboration system is part of Pro Tools now. So we were a little ahead of the technology curve. Absolutely. But, right, that's, that's uh, where it ended up. So I've had this career, just to sum up, in both songwriting. I've written a total of five number one songs uh, over the years with varying people. And um, I've done a bunch of technology um, companies five times around the startup. My, my current business is called Focus at Will, which is a music service that helps you focus and concentrate when you're working. Hmm. It's, yeah, that sounds like a handy thing to have. <laughs> It's a yeah, hell of a history as well. And and Matthew and I were just talking before the show, Will, uh, on a totally small level, uh, one of your number one hits in Australia actually knocked off the Divinals uh, from the number one spot, which in Australian <laughs> terms is no mean feat. <laughs> I like it, yeah. Uh, but Matthew, I believe that um, London Beat eventually were knocked off by something else. Yeah, yeah. After uh, after knocking off, um, I touched myself by the divinals. Uh, I've been thinking about you. Spent four weeks at the top of the Aria charts, and then was replaced by Do the Bartman. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pro- probably not something you'll mention in your autobiography, is it? Yeah. <laughs> well, we just remember the number one, shall we? That's right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, we'll basically... we were. Sorry, go ahead. We were we were very successful in Australia. It was a lot of fun. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've been thinking about you. Ended up as the number eight top selling single of that of that year uh, really? in Australia. So really, yeah. That's, yeah. that's 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 a, a big finish. Yeah, it, we were actually um, the BMI. Uh, we 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 were the number one selling single in the year of that year in the USA. I was the BMI writer of BMI PRS writer of the year really? uh, in nineteen ninety two. Big, the big Impressive. gong. It's very exciting. Yeah. Take that, do the bart, man. <laughs> um, the th- here's the wacky thing, though, guys, that um, I've got about a total of 700 songs delivered to my publisher, um, Warner Chapel Music, in total. And six of them have been hits um, out of the 700, which is a hit rate of less than 1%. <laughs> The songs I write, and out of the six that have been hits, um, "Thinking About You" is half <laughs> of the royalty income stream. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure what the math is on that. So if it's half, that my hit rate is is jack shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a quarter of a percent. <laughs> it, it, it's better than mine. Can I just say that, that means I have a one in four hundred chance of writing a hit when I'm delivering a song. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Still, damn. So. But you've 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 delivered, which is uh, yeah. I've I've not. You know, you know how many yeah. number one singles I've had? None. Yeah, but how many songs you delivered? Remember, I had to write. I had to do four hundred to get one. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and remember and, that's four hundred. This is four hundred recorded, mastered, finished songs. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Because I was about to ask if that included any of the rocket stuff. So that's wow. That's amazing. No. Yeah. That doesn't include. Oh, it does include some of the rocket stuff, but almost none. Yeah, it was twelve yeah. delivered for the rocket. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm impressed by you know, actually finishing writing the song, 
and recording it and mastering it. That's that's right. Th- that that in itself is an achievement. Uh, which I respect. So yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, I've I've not managed that myself. And and will I mean what what stands out for me? And I, I know we've known each other a long time. So but it, it's been a hell of a journey, and and it's been a progression through a whole bunch of things in regards to to your music and and it probably aligns well with the album that you've actually chosen in that the Mm. the person that produced this is a musician that's still undergoing a hell of a journey so i mean did you want to tell us a little bit about the album you've chosen and just at a broad level start off why why you've chosen it well tubular bells um is an album that very few people know these days although you may be familiar with some of the music from maybe computer games or you know maybe commercials tubular bells was an album uh, released back in 1973 by mike oldfield and um i was a kid i was an early as in my early teens then and remember hearing this that it there was no there was no songs on it. It was a sort of an, an ongoing, uh, there was, you know, two sides of an album. So there's about 20 minutes on either side, if I remember rightly. And, um, this guy, Mike Oldfield played all the instruments himself, which was a very uncommon thing to do back in the day. And, um, it's, uh, it's a sort of a, uh, an, an album of mostly instrumental music. Uh, and then each, each album, each uh, track or each section is is um, a- another instrument is added to this, and it's a very odd, it's a very odd sounding record. There's some double speed guitar, if I remember rightly, on one track, mm. and then there's a, there's a drum kit which is on. There's you know there's a drum, there's a small section with a drum on it, and then there's this English voice um, who's. I think the guy's called Vivian Stanshall was That's his right. name. That's right, yes. Right, and he was a very strange chap. And he'd say, the Jubilee Bells. <laughs> That's about what I can remember. I've not listened to the record for a long time. I need to uh, I need to hear it again. Uh, and um, it was, uh, it was a, that and Dark Side of the Moon were the two. Um, oh, yes. Two, That's another two. whole episode, that one. <laughs> Yeah. Several, um, yeah. But it, it, it's interesting you mentioned that uh, a lot of people may not have heard of it, and certainly younger people may not have. And most people tend to know the main riff uh, from yeah. things like The Exorcist and, right. and so on. Um, it, it's interesting that how many, how few people appear to have listened to it from start to finish. And I'm actually going to put myself in that basket. And I count myself as a, a major Oldfield fan, but uh, Tubular Bells right. was just a little bit before my time. Um, yeah. And Tubular Bells 2 had a massive impact on me to the extent that right. I was telling Matthew before the show, my wife and I got married. The, the wedding march was uh, the tattoo section out of Tubular <laughs> Bells 2. <laughs> the awesome. So it, it's interesting. It's, it's one of those albums had a massive impact at the time, but so many people won't have listened to it either in a long time or at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Look, in in terms of actually just that that connection between the the ideas person and and entrepreneurship, I mean that that journey that you've taken, I mean tubular bells. What one one thing that you you might have forgotten about it is 
this was the founding property of Virgin Records. Right. You know, R R yes, Richard, Richard right. Branson was a manager at the Manor Studios where it was recorded. Um, he, he didn't have his own company. He wasn't yeah. an entrepreneur at the time. He, yeah. he started Virgin Records with Tubular Bells. This, this was, you know, uh, V2001. It was, it, this was the, the, the first record released by Virgin Records. This was the foundation of Richard Branson's empire. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's it's quite quite a thing, and, and it fits into your, your journey as, as both a, a tech entrepreneur and musician yeah. in that way. I remember it was in the charts for like six years or something. <laughs> It's kind of, kind of kind of perennial. It it, it pumps up yeah. again and again, doesn't it? <laughs> and partly thanks to Mike himself, I think, because Mike has obviously done a uh, re-recording of it. He's done remasterings, and and quite rightly so. And then has and then has mm -hmm. done Tubular Bells two three, and and has just right. commenced on Tubular and, and Bells the Millennium Bell. and the Millennium Bell. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so he must be he must be in his late sixties now. I'm presuming sixty three, right? a young sixty three. Oh, is that all he is? Yeah, oh, interesting. Um, yeah. He, he was nineteen when he recorded. Yeah, that's this. right. He was nineteen when he did it. Yeah. And will do you remember what the your initial reactions were when you first heard that album? Well, I was a musician and was not around anyone else who was. Um, my folks moved out of the city and in my early teens, sort of 13, 14, uh, were living in a place called Cornwall in England. So a long way from, you know, London or, or any other big city where there's any kind of music going on. So I remember, I remember having a, um, some kind of part-time job and spending all my money on, on David Bowie records. Uh, and uh, buying this. Uh, so I remember buying it and then listening to it and just going, wow. And just just really wanting myself to be able to do that. Very shortly, there's a story behind this, very shortly after I, I bought this, um, an American uh, kid um, came to my school. His, his mom moved to Cornwall um, very shortly after this. Uh, from, I think his folks were originally from Salt Lake City or somewhere like that. And his name was Randy Van Warmer. And Randy <laughs> Van, that was his real name, Randall. No, Van it Warmer. wasn't. Uh -huh. And Randy, his name was Randy Van Warmer. And he was a songwriter and a guitarist and had a multi track tape machine, a little one of his own, a four track. And he was a couple of years older than me. And he started to do demos and write his own songs. Now, if you look up Randy, if you look up Randy Van Warmer, See, it's funny, I'm just doing it. that and he's there, yeah. Uh -huh. He had a huge hit yeah. called Just When I Needed You Most. Yeah. And I knew Randy at school. Uh, Randy passed away, actually, um, a, a few years ago, but we, we stayed in touch. And he was the person that, first of all, I used to go and play bass on some of his demos, um, which then he got a deal and, and <clears throat> signed to Island Records or whoever he did. And then he had this big hit, um, Just When I Needed You Most, in 1979, maybe? I don't know, whatever the day was. Yeah, it was. Was it 79? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Randy was the guy who taught me about recording studios and singing and songwriting and um, was very much... Uh, 
listening to this record, Tubular Bells, had me then wanting to get my own tape recorder, multi-track, and start recording. And eventually I saved up and I bought myself a TIAC, uh, TIAC four-track, which is a quarter-inch four-track. Mm-hmm. And then I started to um, do, do my own double-tracking and, and overdubbing of my own stuff. Then that led me to recording demos of other people's bands because I got a four-track. That got me into sound engineering. That got me into my first recording studio, which turned into a recording studio engineering gig, which turned into a production gig. Now I'm winding fast through the years here. And then in the 80s, um, I was working as a house record producer, mostly for CBS Records in uh, London and New York. I was going between the two cities, doing a lot of dance music. And it all directly came from hearing tubular bells and going, I think I could do that. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an understatement to say it had an impact. Um, are there particular sections that still – I know you said it's been a while since you've um, listened to it, but are there particular sections that still stand out for you today? And we will play well, a couple of those in the show. Great, I, I would. I think when the narrator, Vivian, goes, Tubular Bells! <laughs> and then the Tubular Bells play. I believe that's the time that Mike Oldfield realised that's what he was going to call the album, that he had a different or had a working title prior to that. It was called something like Fried Eggs or Scrambled Eggs or something, wasn't it? Uh, I was just looking up online. There we go. I knew it was something about that. Yeah, terrible title. Tubular Bell is much better. They they had cover art for it as well, which was uh, kind of a a hard-boiled egg cut in half uh, with blood flowing out of it. Uh, which then ended up not being used, thank goodness. Until later. On, on, <laughs> and, on uh, was, that, was that used later? Yeah, on, on the Heavens Open album, I believe. It features on there. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'll have to look that up. It sounds awful. Yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it's the the narration part or the Master of Ceremonies part is definitely one of the pieces. And, again, uh, I'm quite ashamed to say having started on Tubular Bells 2, which there is a, a near identical right. – or not identical, but a similar section. Um, right. Just how pivotal that is to the piece. Right. Um, and probably a question related to that, Will, is um, – I mentioned before Tubular Bells 2, 3 and 4. Do you right. think it's one of those situations where it is a, a – musical theme that is worthy of expansion on in subsequent albums or the original is best and maybe should have been left that way 
Yeah, it depends on now looking back on it as a uh, as a mature musician. Um, you know whether whether there is an actual artistic value to 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 sustaining an idea or not is more important than than the sequel. You know, mm-hmm. in Star Wars is a good example that. Clearly, it was a franchise, and clearly the idea of Star Wars was they can make more money, and they've struck a gold mine. But actually, the Star Wars—they're amazing stories. <laughs> Each one is pretty amazing. Even the worst Star Wars movie is still a pretty amazing mm. experience, right? So, I think if the ideas are in place you can you can sustain and work on a piece i'm actually in the middle of a new album at the moment of my own which is um related to this actually when i'm thinking about it um focus at will which i mentioned earlier on which is the it's a music service that helps you focus when you're working um we've got a new channel uh, which is which is sponsored by it's going to be sponsored by nat geo um the tv channel mm-hmm. and we've got a channel on our system and it's called uh, uh it's called einstein's genius this is the first time i'm talking about it because it's uh, this is this is brand new and we're in the middle of it at the moment and it's a new album which is a hybrid between electronica trance edm music and um baroque string quartets and it's an entirely new album of music that's specifically recorded for the uh, focus at will uh, service we've got about a million and a half users now so it's a pretty pretty big service mm-hmm. and um one of the pieces that we are using for a large section of the album which will become a large uh, part of the content of this new channel is using a, a bark fugue which is basically one which is one melody there's, a, there's there's some famous bark fugues and they're there are there are multitudes of variations of a theme that Bach used a lot, and it's a really good example of exactly what you're asking, which is okay. <laughs> mm. It's uh, here's the theme. How many different versions of this can you come up with? And, and I mean, uh, I'm biased, but it, I'd argue that Oldfield has managed to do that across the yes the three. Yes. And like Tubular Bell Four is underway at the moment. I have no doubt it'll probably right. deliver as well. Fine. Talking about you talking about current albums and current circumstances, I mean, have albums like Oldfield actually influenced? I know you've talked about the four track and, and everything like that. It still, would you feel, has had some influence over your own music creation? <clears throat> yeah, I would say so. Um, it was a very um, Anglo Saxon um, sort of intellectual album. Uh, if you think about it, it was very British. And, um, of course in the seventies, British rock was, you know, this is when the stones and, and Led Zeppelin and, you, you know, the Beatles were everywhere. So at that time, the British invasion worldwide was, it was all about Red Clapton, right? It was all British artists. And so this was very much an album of that era. When I listen to it now, I listened to it, to a bit of it recently, which is part of the reason why I brought it up. It feels very Anglo-Saxon, English, and hello. Since then, of course, my own music making, if you think about the band London Beat, um, there was me 
and three African-American soul singers, uh, three American black guys, uh, which was not that at all. Um, and so my own career in the 90s with the music that I that I, I worked with then, and, and I still am in a writing team here in L.A. doing doing contemporary uh, radio music as well. It it does not have that. <laughs> Hello, Britishness about it. It's it's got much more of a contemporary um R and B sort of hip hop related bottom end. Uh so I, I I think but there's still elements of that sort of hypnotic hypnotic sound in, in the things I like. No, great response. Um Is there a Mike Holfield of today? And I know that's a somewhat silly questioning that there are, there are lots of artists out there and if anything there are more artists than ever uh, able to get their work out there but do you, do you are there artists out there that really stand out for you at the moment that are really forging that path of there's um an electronica artist that you've probably not heard of called john tejada which is t-e-j-a-d-a john tejada and he is um he does beautiful electronica he does everything he lives here in l.a um, I, I've, I've, uh, we've, we've chatted and we, we've met, um, his music is all done with analog equipment now, analog oh. sequences and analog, uh, since, and it has a different sound to it than, than anything you can do on a, on a contemporary, um, uh, you know, on a, on a door digital audio workstation. So, um, I, I like John's work, John's a harder. Um, in particular, he's, his, his layering is, is very beautiful. Um, in terms of, um, someone like, um, you probably remember Tim Bran. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, you, you've been following him, I presume in the last few years. Yes. Yeah, so he's had some um, great, great production. He's had some significant hits. Yeah. He did the London grammar mm. uh, debut album, which was a massive hit here in the States worldwide. He's just done the new Block Party album. Um, he's a, he, you know, he's a mate of mine for, for 30 years now. And his work is, uh, he's just done the new, um, the new album too for, uh, for London Grammar. I, I would say he, he is in a, in a strong contender yeah, <laughs> for that particular, that title, yes. Uh, excellent. Um, are, are you are you are you familiar with uh, with other Mike Oldfield things? I mean, obviously he's he's revisited the uh, the tubular bells theme uh, a number of times. It's kind of a, a touchstone in his career. He, he he does tubular bells, then he does three or four other things, and he does tubular bells two, a couple of other things, then he does tubular bells three. It's 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 like a um, a familiar anchor for for Mike Mike Oldfield. Are you familiar I'm, with his with his other work and and uh, what what do you think of that? I know he did another he did another album. I'm just trying to remember what it was called. Um, it was it wasn't the one will uh, based on um, songs of distant earth. The the yeah, uh, other that's what it, yeah, that's what the one I'm thinking of. Um, but for me. Really, it was it was that album, the the first one that kind of launched me into doing what I'm doing now. Um, yeah, I, I actually in just a sort of an overview of my own career that um, I'm in my mid fifties now, and I, I was a full time musician until I was about thirty 
what was the math on this 32 and then i started uh res rocket surfer which was a virtual band ended up playing less and less and less and then ended up in silicon valley moving to san francisco in the mid 90s uh late 90s and actually not playing and i spent 17 years not playing at all not even picking up a guitar really just not interested in in music and it's just been in the last two or three years that i've really picked it up again and um you, you know reconnected with the thing which i love to do the most which is composing and and recording and doing you know fiddling around in the studio so i've got um i've got a, a, a you know a, a recording rig here in my place in marina del rey which is venice beach in um, California. And, um, I was just saying to someone the other day how I have a Mac laptop and I have more equipment, more possibilities in everything that's on this machine than I did in the studio, uh, in London that, that David, I think last time we were talking about the last time we met was in my studio, which was like a $2 million room, you know? Yes. And, um, I, I can do more stuff easier pretty much with, you know, a couple of thousand bucks worth of, of, of apps and logic audio. <laughs> it's nuts. And it's, 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 yeah. it's, it's, some ways it's the challenge of actually knowing what to choose from that, that range. Oh yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it, actually that, that, uh, that comes back to, um, something that, uh, David and I were talking about sort of off offline before we, uh, we started here was, which was, you know, uh, old field, obviously, uh, he was using what was available to him. Uh, in 1973, yes. to re to record all these things, in in fact, the uh, the the tubular bells that are in the title uh, weren't actually even his. They they'd been hired uh, by the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band, right, uh, <laughs> for a recording that they were going to make. Uh, Viv Stanchel was actually part of the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. Even That's right. That's uh, right. And th they had actually hired the tubular bells. That's why they were there in the manor for Oldfield to use. Um, so it's kind of a huge coincidence that they ended up being on the recording at all. Um, <laughs> and, 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 um, you know, do, do you think if, if Oldfield had, you know, that Mac laptop with the equipment that you've got now with, you know, the, the, the technology that's available, I mean, he, he did go back and, and re-record tubular bells in 2003, right. um, with 2003 equipment, yeah. but you know, we've, we've, yeah. we've had another, decade and a half since then do you think he would do it differently do you think he would do it as well or do you think that the limitation of i've just got to work with what's here at the time do you think that that helped his process or do you think it hurt there is a lot to be said for reducing the scope of possibility when you're doing something a, a real a, a real advantage in that and um When you have almost unlimited options in terms of sound palettes, you've got to have a vision to go, nope, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. And um, so what happens is there's a lot of mediocre, undirected music around mm. that doesn't really have direction. It's just using the latest synths from you know, whatever there's, there's, yeah. there, there are 
some of the synths that are out there, there's one called Alchemy, for instance, mm. that almost everybody uses. And you just sound like everything else because you're all using the same synth patches that everybody else is doing. It's kind yeah, of impressive. Like that, 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 that period in the late 80s where everybody had a Yamaha DX7. That's it. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I'm chasing one as we speak. <laughs> um, so so, so, so you, you, you feel that he benefited from having to make do with what was available and you know isn't it a, a happy coincidence that there happened to be a set of tubular bells yes on hand um yeah. there's another really big thing which is if you've never thought about it is a complete like whoa and that is when he started there'd been almost no records released so there were very few rock albums available yeah right now there are something like 37 million pieces of commercially available music available online. Mm -hmm. Mm. 37 million. When he did Tubular Bells, how many albums do we think there were? I don't know, maybe in total 500,000? Yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing. <laughs> maybe yeah. 200,000, I don't know. Not very many. Yeah. So when someone went into a record store to buy a record, they didn't have that much of a of a choice. It wasn't that much of a selection. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a really good point. Um, so now you're, a, you know, now when you release a, a record, you're in competition with everything that's out now and everything that has ever been. Yes. <laughs> Which makes Yikes. your hit rate seem even better. Exactly. I was yeah. just going to say exactly that. <laughs> You've still had six hits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Remarkably, <laughs> and 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 of course, you know, Oldfield was doing things like uh, for for the uh, in Tubular Bells Part Two because the, the the albums, as you say, it's it's two sides of the record. There's Tubular Bells Part One, and there's Tubular Bells Part Two. Yes. And in Tubular Bells Part Two, you've got the the vocal bit, the what's known as the the Piltdown Man section. <laughs> uh, where where he um, recorded himself kind of yelling and screaming, but with the tape sped up. So when it's played back, it's sort of inhumanly slow. You know, yeah. the, 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 there's a kind of genius in just thinking to do that. Uh, don't you think? <laughs> I mean, that, 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 that's, that's not yeah. the sort of thing you, 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 with, your, with your Mac laptop. Do you think... Right. Yeah, what I'll do is I'll yell and scream right. into a microphone, and then I can alter the uh, alter the speed to however I want, and I can, you know, go in and I can manipulate the waveform, yeah. and I can do whatever. whatever I want. But in 1973, you've got to do the, the mechanical trick with the actual right. tape deck. It's I don't know. It's do nice. you? Um, I don't remember, David. If you were in the studio in London one day when I got a bug up my butt to do something I'd always wanted to do, which is if you um, if you record yourself saying something forwards, like "Hello, it's a beautiful day," and then you play it backwards and learn it, so it goes yeah, or whatever it is, and then you learn that, and then you record it forwards, and then you play it backwards. 
it sounds the it's the most hilarious thing. Oh, see, I want to go you, and try that now. Yeah, try it. So well, there's there's an app uh, that you can get. It's called called Backtalk. Uh, right. So you you can you can teach yourself how to say things backwards, and then uh, it records it. And then it back, records it. Then you yeah. Yeah, and then it's, it's, it plays it backwards so that it sounds forward. Yeah. It sounds like, this is very funny. It's the, 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 the Twin Peaks thing. Right. <laughs> Love it. Um, I, I, I was going to say, I think that might, might have covered us with Mike Oldfield beyond... Um, great. I'm just a major fan of his um, pop single work as well. But we don't want to go there with Moonlight Shadow and so many other things. But right. the, the guy knows how to write a song. Yeah, he does. As do you, Will. Um, Thank you. So you very much appreciate you joining us. We'll, we'll have links in the show a notes pleasure. to um, to focus at Will and and, uh, and right. other aspects of Will's work so it's for our audience right. to check out. Um, right. Yeah, very much appreciate your time and um, look forward to the next album coming out. <laughs> Thanks, fellas. No worries. I Thank wish you. you well. Okay, so there we go. That was the interview. Um, that was a bit, a bit of an interesting one, Matthew. We we covered a lot of ground. It was. It it took took us into uh, some different directions that are, that I entirely expected. But uh, no, that was that was an interesting discussion. I know I'll be definitely uh, seeking out uh, Randy Van Warmer's album. <laughs> I I can't help but feel that if I if I look up Randy Van Warmer on on the internet, I'm going to end up on a list of some sort. (laughs) Poor Randy. Poor poor Randy. Yes. Um, But but no, look. One thing I didn't manage to to squeeze into the discussion because it's not entirely relevant. I mean, uh, we 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 did mention Viv Stanchel was the fellow who does the um, the Master of Ceremonies bit, you know, and tubular bells. That, that that bit. Now he he was of course uh, the singer and one of the main songwriters with uh, the Bonzo Dog Doodad Band, which I mentioned. Uh, and what you what you may not know is uh, the Bonzos, as they became known, uh, they they appear in the Beatles Magical Mystery Tour. Oh, okay. Uh, so so Viv Stanchel is actually there. He's he's on stage wearing a sort of pink scarf thing in the in the stripper. The strip bar sequence. I'm. You're. You're familiar with Magical Mystery Tour. I've watched it once a long time ago. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. That you've watched. I believe you. No. <laughs> no. The um, when you watch Magical Mystery Tour, because of course it's a classic. Um. There's a a scene that takes place in a kind of stripper bar, and the the house band is the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. Oh, there so you go. Is, and they're singing a song. Uh, the title of which will ring a bell for you, called Death Cab for Cutie. Ah. Maybe familiar. There's a, there's yeah, a band called absolutely. Death Cab, which takes which take from that song. Um, uh, so I actually have a couple of they're, 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 they're not bad. They're not bad. And uh, actually, the, the um, I've forgotten the name of the, the lead singer from Dead Ca- Death Cab for Cutie. Who's, who says that he's, he's very grateful for Wikipedia because he doesn't have to keep explaining where they got their name from anymore. Yeah, <laughs> um, but that—that—that's where it's from. It's—it's it's from a, a song that was written by uh, Viv Stanchel, who's the master of ceremonies from Tubular Bells, and Neil Innes, who was um, a writer with Monty Python. So yeah, it's was all, who was in the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. It's a hell of a pedigree. Um, it, it 
the other bit of trivia I had uh, mentioning Viv Stanchel is I just I mentioned the Master of Ceremonies section in Tubular Bells 2 I, I love a great deal and I had assumed it was him but it, it actually was Alan Rickman yeah Viv, Viv Stanchel had recorded it um, but then um, they they didn't use Viv Stanchel's recording of it, except on a B side apparently. Yeah, so they, did they? Yeah, they released it uh, alternative mix because the bell is the name of the song on Tubular Bells Two was released as a single B side. And um, Billy Connolly and Viv Stanchel both did versions. Really, I didn't know about the Billy Billy, Billy Connolly, Connolly could be interesting. And and uh, if if you're uh, interested in more Viv Stanchel narration, um, the the version of Tubular Bells that's currently available on iTunes uh, includes the single, which is just called Mike Oldfield's Single, which is actually a chunk from it was going to be Tubular Bells Part Two, but it was edited out, uh, and it's Viv Stanchel kind of taking you on a tour of the manor, and he's very clearly not a hundred percent there. He's he's very drunk. <laughs> Uh, he, he's, either, he's either very drunk or he's doing a very good imitation of somebody who's very drunk. Uh, and, and yeah, if you, uh, if you go onto iTunes, you can find a thing called Mike Oldfield's Single. Uh, and that's actually an, an edited excerpt that was not used in Tubular Bells Part 2. Uh, and it's more Viv Stanchel giving you a little tour of the, the, the building where they recorded it. Love it. Bit of fun. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's mad. It's crazy stuff. And we will have links in the show notes for uh, where to find Mike Oldfield's work on yeah, iTunes, Spotify, and so on. So I think we might wrap it up there, Matthew. Well, that's been fun. Thank you very much, David. Um, so and uh, to our, uh, our future explosive audience, um, if you'd like to offer an opinion or suggestion on this first episode... Um, or want to offer yourself up as a guest even to review an album you love, um, please don't hesitate to email us at contact at themusicweek, or one word, .net. So contact at themusicweek.net or visit our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash musicdissectors. Um, you will find this episode and future episodes of the show on iTunes and we're also on Stitcher and TuneIn and you can actually listen to the podcast direct from our website, themusicweek.net. Um, so, yes, thanks very much and thank you again, Matthew, and to Will, Will as our very first uh, guest. Um, we'll be back in uh, a week or two uh, with a rock album most will know and many will love. Um, I think you, you'll get a lot, lot of enjoyment out of that, that interview as well. But in the meantime, find a new album to love. Goodbye. Bye-bye.